All right, here's what we're going to do. Uh, now that you've all sat down, let's stand back up because we're going to read the scriptures. <laughs> Sorry, this is how it works every week. We should just probably have this, hey, we're going to read scripture. Uh, good morning, Riverbend. Good morning. I got two or three good mornings. Great. Good morning, Riverbend. Yeah, there we go. Yes. This is the most alive 9 a.m. I think I have ever experienced, and I am so thankful. I don't even have jokes today, but it's going to be fun. So uh, here's what I'd love to do. We're, we read the scriptures each week together out loud. If we haven't met, my name is Brooke. I'm one of the pastors here. As a quick reminder, Andrew's out for like the next four weeks. So pray for them to have a great time and to be refreshed. We're so thankful that he's able to get away for this season. Uh, but as you know, we're in a series in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. Last week, Sam took us, took us through the first couple. Thank you, Sam. And we're going to read this passage of scripture and then get into it today. So what I'd love to do is for us to just read this out loud together. Can we do that? Okay, let's go right here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And God's church said, Father, we pray for your blessing over this time. Thank you that even reading your word does work in our soul, in expanding and creating life in our very bones. We ask today that you would bless us, refresh us, edify, exhort for your glory and our good. And everyone said one more time, amen. Grab a seat. When you're sitting down, tell the person next to you they look great. There you go. And I'm not going to, now listen, some of you picked somebody to tell that to, which means you, there's another person you didn't tell that to. So you should probably tell them that too, real quick too. You also look great. So uh, if that doesn't get anybody a date, I, am, I apologize. I did my best. I've done my work today. Um, so as you guys know, we're in a series on the fruit of the spirit. And today... Uh, we're actually going to look at two specific, some people are really loving this, like, you look good thing, it's still going on. <laughs> um, we're in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. Today we're going to cover two of the fruits of the Spirit, and that's kindness and goodness. And if you're a person who likes to follow order, you might realize that we're going to skip over patience today. And that's not because we are impatient. Uh, rather, next week Phil's going to touch on the importance of the fruit of the Spirit. So that's where we're going today. Um, to, to start us today, I just kind of want to share a, a moment from my life. Uh, week after week, good church people, many of you, come to me with their R-rated lives and their R-rated questions. Does God's presence in me really change anything? Another woman asked me recently who reads her Bible every day, why don't I get something out of all this? Isn't this supposed to help me when my husband is verbally abusive to me? Or how about this question? Uh, an overtired, busy loan officer asks, is spiritual dryness a permanent state? Is this always going to be this way? 
Even a, a distressed pastor friend of mine, not Andrew, uncomfortably sits in my office and asks, what does it mean when I'm too busy to pray? Or a married couple asks why God seemed closer to them before they were married. Any married couples know what I'm talking about? The loan officer, the woman, the pastor, the couple, they all have something in common. And that's in the midst of their busy, scattered, and exhausted and hurting lives. They want to experience a great love with God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Desire and desperation for more of God gnaw at their hungry souls. And they want to know if God's going to show up for them. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said to you and I, he said, are you tired, worn out? Are you burned out on religion? He says this, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. He goes on to say, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and learn to live freely and lightly. Living freely and lightly can sound too good to be true. Anybody? It can sound too, it just doesn't feel like it's based in reality. How can our, your, my hectic and demanding schedules yield to this aching desire for unforced rhythms of grace? We're going to talk more on that later. What good is a desire to recover your life if you're just burned out from just being alive? Being alive is hard. Anybody? Like, just being alive is hard. Owning a phone, hard work. Like, keep that thing away from me. Not too much, not too little. I have to work enough, but not enough, and I can't be addicted to it, but I need to see it. You're like, right? It's just hard to be alive. That's just one facet. Now, there's a desire for a different sort of life that doesn't appear out of thin air. As Sam said last week, we don't see an orange tree strive to make an orange, right? But if you put an orange tree in the correct climate and they have the right water and the right nutrients, what happens? They produce fruit. It's not something they're trying to do. It's something they naturally do. And I want to encourage you today that the longing for something more of God in your life, in my life, is evidence that God is already at work in your life. In fact, the very desire or desperation that you and I feel to read this list of the fruits of the Spirit and have an ache and say, I'm not there with that yet, or I wish for more of this, it may be God's way of readying you to walk and work with Jesus to produce fruit. Because here's the deal. Transformation for you and I happens when we keep company with Jesus. It's the environment we need to produce the fruit that we're talking about today. So I want to ask all of us a radical question that is not some form of sneaky individualism. It's an honest question that we need to ask ourselves. And this is the question that Jesus actually asks us repeatedly, but I want to ask it to you today. And that's this, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Doesn't it almost feel selfish to ask that? Like, wait, wait, I, this is not how it works. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Do you actually want to be a person that Galatians 5 speaks of? Because wanting to work with and watch Jesus is where this transformation begins. Your willpower, although it's strong, especially in the morning and not at night, and your discipline, 
alone, those can never fix your soul. Striving, pushing, or trying harder, that's not going to recover your life. It's the unforced rhythms of grace. They depend on something more than just your self-mastery or self-effort or trying harder. We're going to talk more about that question in a minute. What do you want Jesus to do for you? But today, here's what I want to cover. I want to cover trying versus training. I want to look at what these fruits actually are and how we can graft them into our lives. All right? So we're going to talk about trying versus training, what these fruits, kindness and goodness are, and how we can graft them into our lives first. Trying versus training. When you and I try something, we are actually just hoping to get lucky and receive the benefit without paying the price. Any high school student know what I'm talking about. Remember college, anyone? You're like, I just hope to get an A on this test. God, please help me. And then you flunk it, and you're like, why did that happen? God, you're turning your back on me. You're like, you didn't study. That's how it works. A quick story. Uh, in 2017, uh, I had this idea. I woke up one morning, as happens most mornings, and I decided, I think we should sign up to run a marathon. I think we should do that. Yeah, don't get too excited. Uh, I think, we should, I, think I, should, I should run a marathon. This was a personal thing. I was like, I should run a marathon in the summer in San Francisco. That makes sense because San Francisco is relatively flat. No. Um, but it would be really fun. So I go, I, I, I talk to my wife that morning. I'm like, I think I'm going to sign up for a marathon. She's like, you can't do that by yourself. I was like, well, why not? I, can I not? Do? She's like, I've got to do this with you. If you do this, we've got to do this together. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to be doing a marathon then. So we decided to make a trip out of it. I think it was close to our 10-year wedding anniversary. So we made the really foolish choice to go early and to spend time together, like trying to relax, knowing that three days later we had to run a marathon. It was not fun. I mean, it was fun to hang out, but the stress was overwhelming. But back to the, that day, I woke up. I said, I think I'm going to run a marathon. And she says, okay, well, we're going to do this. Now, if you know my wife and you know me, we're vastly different. That's what, we, that's what I love about my wife, that she's very different from me. It's what causes our greatest joy and our greatest pain. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? It's the differences that divide us, and it's the differences that draw us close. And so I, I remember her idea was like, we are going to go on a regimen. You'll run all these days a week. We have one long run. And there's all these things online you can buy for this, training programs, right? And so she finds this amazing training program. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. We're going to run three miles on Monday and five on Wednesday and three and then 15 on Saturday. Like, what? This is crazy. But this was the plan. So I, I decided to go for it. Like three weeks into it, when Saturday, like, said we have to run 18 miles, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this run, but I'm, I'm not into this anymore. Like, I'm so not into this training program. So my wife just, if you know her, she's methodical. She can follow a schedule. Rules are comforting to her. Uh, so she like starts this plan and she just keeps at it. She just faithfully plugs away. And so I said, I'm going to commit to do the long runs with you on Saturday, but like this midweek stuff, no way. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, so I decided to do CrossFit instead. I was like, CrossFit people are strong. They can go really fast. So I'll just do CrossFit during the week and they'll do these crazy long runs on Saturday with my wife. And so I was hoping to get lucky, and I was trying and hoping, not training, I was hoping that this would work out, that hopefully if I do CrossFit throughout the week and then run, a, run like 15 miles, that would be okay. Well, come race day, my wife had trained. She'd been methodical and religious about going through the process, and I had kind of been like, well, we'll just see what happens. So we get there, and mile 17 comes. And it comes like a, a brick wall. I mean, like, I was like, okay, we're going to have to slow this down. Like, we're going to have to stop running. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have to stop doing that. 
Hey, people walk marathons all the time. Don't judge here. Uh, there's a lot of people walking. Uh, more than you think. So mile 17 comes. I'm walking, and then I'm realizing, like, oh, there goes my wife. And I'm like, I'll catch up to her. It's fine. I'll catch up to her. I never caught up to her. She beat me by, like, 10 minutes, which in the running world is actually a lot of minutes. And it's primarily because she's better than me. She's more fit than me, but she also trained hard. So give it up for my wife. Good job, sweetie. Good job. She immediately got across the line and sent a text to her whole family that we're done with the race and I haven't seen Brooke yet. <laughs> yeah, it's really encouraging. The next day we had a big like summer trip with the family, so that was all we talked about for that next two days. Um, but I was just hoping to get lucky, right? I was just hoping, please, I, I hope that I can have enough stamina to complete this. Now to train simply means to commit to achieving something by developing the skills or acquiring the knowledge and obtaining the required structures through a few things, sustained and intentional effort and practice. That's what it means to train. Now apply this to any area of your life. You know what I'm talking about. But when it comes to our spiritual life, oftentimes many of us choose to just try harder, hoping that we will get lucky and just be more kind and just be more patient. And you find yourself impatient and you say, oh man, I've got to try to be more patient. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I just got to try better today. When you're unkind, you say to yourself, I have to try to be a kinder person. But what usually happens? Most of the time that blows up in your face. You fail hard. But why? Why doesn't it really work to just try harder? Well, the most simple way to say it is because we are not the types of people who are patient or kind. We simply do not yet have the qualities fully in us. And so it's hard to produce kindness when we ourselves do not have kindness in us fully. And that brings us back to this question. What do you want Jesus to do for you? In John chapter 1, one of the very first things Jesus asked his soon-to-be disciples was, what do you want? Isn't that bizarre? Jesus is saying, hey guys, what do you want? I can do anything. What do you want? Over and over and over again, Jesus asks about desires. In Matthew 20, he says, what is it you want? In Mark 10, he says, what do you want me to do for you? John chapter 5, in the story of healing, he says, do you want to get well? Jesus knew that you wouldn't get well if you didn't want the responsibility that came with wellness. You see, when we pray, there's a responsibility on you and I to be the types of people to say, Jesus, we actually desire this. Pause and just think about that for a minute. Jesus wants to enter into your life in such a way where he says, I want to identify desire, I want to meet desire, but it, it's going to actually cost us something, right? You and I have a part to play for our formation to Jesus and in our healing and our life experience. Jesus never attempted, in any of these stories, he never attempts to shut down people's longings. He doesn't ask people to transcend their longings or to do something different. He knew that your human desire and my human desire is an incurable black hole of opportunity. He saw it. He knew. And so he says, what do you want? He says, what would you like? Remember all the moments throughout the biblical text of what people of people telling Jesus what they wanted. In Mark chapter 1, a man with leprosy, remember? He's begging Jesus. He says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So he was saying, hey, I want to be clean. This, this is all over the, the scriptures. Another person pleaded with Jesus that these demons would leave their region. 
Matthew 8. Uh, Matthew 8.25, remember, Peter says, save us, we're going to drown. Like, they're expressing what they need to God. They're saying, this is what we want. Remember uh, some of the disciples' mom in, in Matthew 20, she says, please grant that one of these two sons of mine sit at your right hand and the other on your left. Like, what a power trip in mom. Just wants her sons to have ultimate power in the universe. This woman says in John 4, Sir, give me this water. If you can do anything, take pity on us. Help us. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with Jesus in Mark 5. And then finally in Luke 11, his disciples say to him, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Jesus doesn't grant requests like like a genie in the bottle. Right? He doesn't. We often hope he would, but that's not how it works. He works with people, allowing your desires and my desires to draw us into conversations with him in a daily, ongoing way. For Jesus, requests for water and for healing and for rest and for vindication and for approval and for status and all that stuff was all him engaging in a soul hunger, something that was really deep down in a person. And contrary to what we might think, your misguided, self-destructive, true, or addictive desperations and desires are open doors to a deep relationship with Jesus. That stuff is not a waste. God uses that to open doors for us. So Jesus teaches that it's not about trying harder. It's actually about training harder. It's being a person who trains and thinks about what you think about. If you have a deep hole of desire and unmet deep deep longing for God in your soul, I want to encourage you today to stop trying and start training. Watch him attend to that hole in your heart that's bigger than the galaxy itself. Many of Jesus' deepest interactions with people in the scriptures, they get at two main things. First, they get at the true nature of people's desires. So when Jesus interacted with these people, he got to the core of it. He moved past all the social facades and all the stuff that we put on and he got to the heart of it. And then he always gave a spiritual practice that would help them make space for God in their lives. Why did he do that? That's because that is where God's grace becomes active to us. So what are these fruits? A few notes on spiritual disciplines, which is where we're moving uh, before we move on. If you remember in the, the book of Acts, uh, Acts 2.42 is when the church started. And the early church community Uh, would run into situations. People would want stuff. There would be conflict. There'd be temptation. There'd be persecution. And they needed help to persevere and to continue to walk with Jesus. Uh, If you remember in Acts 2.42, it gave an example to you and I. It says that they devoted, speaking of the followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to a few things. Now, devoted means they committed They were training. This is actually a practice. This is what happened in the early church. When temptation or fear or lack of order arrived in their life, this is what happened. They would actually devote themselves to a few things that would keep them connected with Jesus. So it says this. They devoted themselves to, first, the apostles' teaching. That was a practice. They went to church. They decided to connect with and hear the scriptures and learn from others who knew more about the scriptures or knew of an insight in the scriptures. So they actually took time to practice being under the apostles' teaching. Second, they committed and devoted themselves to fellowship, which is relationships. They committed to other people. They said, hey, we're going to do life together. And it might get messy, which it does, by the way. Uh, we're going to do life together in the ups and downs of life, but we're going to be committed to, to each other. That's, that's another part of a practice or training. 
Then the next phrase, to the breaking of bread. They ate together. They did life. They had experiences together. They trained by having these experiences together. And then lastly, it says to prayer. Then they would commit themselves and devote themselves to prayer, which again is another practice. You see that the early church, to stay connected to Jesus, had to be intentional about it. They devoted their lives to a series of practices that kept them connected to Jesus. And the same goes for you and I. Now, my hope is that we can take the, that example that was set by the early church and we can move through the rest of this teaching today. I want to take that idea of taking a practice and applying it to these fruits of the Spirit. Now, just really one last thing on the, the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines per se are not what transform us into the likeness of Christ. Now, I need to say this really quick. You reading more and you uh, doing these exact or not exact spiritual disciplines are not the exact thing that will transform you into the likeness of Christ. They simply put us in the place where we can begin to notice God and to respond to his word towards us. It is the vehicle. You reading your Bible more is not going to get you into heaven, but it's going to connect you to the one who does love you enough and has created heaven and earth for you. Does that make sense? They simply put us into a place. They put us under the faucet, as some say, where the water's flowing. Our part is to offer ourselves lovingly and obediently to God. Then God works within us, doing what only he can do alone. God is free to come to us in spiritual disciplines as he wills, not as we demand. So if you're doing some of these practices and you're like, it's just not working, I'm not more kind, like, chill out. Like, be kind to God. Like, take a minute. It's on his time, right? Maybe God's teaching you patience before he's teaching you kindness. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what kindness and goodness are as the two character qualities today. And then I want to look at what training you and I can do to step into being the types of people who are good and kind. Does that make sense? So kindness. What is kindness? Um, kindness encompasses a range of small acts and habits that we know as old-fashioned good manners. Anybody remember good manners? Not many. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it's when you're kind to people. It's please. It's thank you. It's waiting your turn. It's lending a helping hand or cheering someone up with a smile or paying attention to somebody. It applies not just to your relationships with other people. Uh, it actually extends to like animals and plants and earth. Like kindness is not just to relationships. It's, it's a whole being. Now this practice uh, or this idea of kindness also means being generous with your presence or better said your attention. I cannot tell you how much of a gift it is, friends, to give your attention to another human and how solely lacking we are in that department. Now, we don't need to sit here and be like, digital stuff's going to kill us. It will. But the point is, we don't need to talk about that. We need to be people that are aware enough of our surroundings to recognize what's happening to us and what we're being formed by to actually put in things in our life of counterformation to be the types of people that Jesus would want us to be. Meaning, put your phone down for a while and, and make eye contact with people. It's going to feel weird at first, especially if you're not used to it, but I promise it's really good for your soul. All the brain activity that happens when someone makes eye contact with each other. I mean, like it, the brain science behind it is brilliant. It, I don't have time to go into it. It's fascinating. But kindness today can look like a kind word, but it can also just look like your attention. It can look like you making eye contact and being generous and sincere and present in this moment. 
It's being present with your, your attention, your time, your money. And also, it's giving freely without expecting anything in return. You just do it. You're the person that says, I'm going to be this kind person. Kind words, Mother Teresa says. I love this quote. She says, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. Uh, one of my, uh, a verse that connects with this that I think gives us just a visual of what uh, we're hearing here and what Paul's saying is uh, Colossians 3, verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You and I are, as people of Jesus, we're encouraged to daily put on these qualities like we put on clothing. Thank you for wearing clothing today. You did it. You've all accomplished that. Also, we're called to put on these qualities. Just like we get dressed in the morning, we say, I'm going to be ready for kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And if we're being honest, these qualities are more important than clothing. Although, again, clothes are important. Now, Andrew has this running joke with me. He says that we have this running joke, but this is more his running joke. It's not mine. It's his. Uh, this running joke that people give me stuff all the time. And for the record, I don't think that's true. But the truth is, at a young age, I was shown that kindness matters. Uh, Andrew and I were on a flight to New York before the pandemic hit. It was actually like a month before the pandemic. So there's a good chance we brought COVID back for everybody. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't, we didn't get it. It was just a joke. Uh, but we were on the flight. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Patient zero. Um, it wasn't us. Uh, but we were on this flight, and this, uh, this flight attendant, this guy was helping seat us. And you could tell he was having a hard day. That's not the best uh, arena to be in or job to have for kindness. And I said something along the lines of like, hey, thank you. You're doing a great job. Like, that was it. Well, then throughout the flight, I started noticing he would like come back and check on us and see if we like needed stuff. And I was like, no, dude, we're just flying. I don't need anything. I'm just sitting and waiting to get there. Like, <clears throat> I wasn't being rude. I was just like, no, no, we're good. We're fine. And he kept checking on us. And then I asked him his name, and then I started, I was like, well, if he's here, we're going to, like, see who this dude is. So I started asking him all these life questions. He starts opening up about all this stuff in his life. And all of a sudden, like, he's coming back, and he's, like, uh, about an hour and a half in the flight, like, after hearing about his life and knowing who he is, he just starts bringing us free drinks. He's like, hey, is that guy with you? The other guy in the seat wasn't with us, but he's like, he'll get free drinks, too, because he's with you guys. I was like, I don't, I don't know who this guy is. Like, you can give him whatever you want, but I don't know this guy. He's not with us, but he's a nice guy, I think. I haven't talked to him. He's been on his headphones the whole time. I don't know who this guy is. But he keeps, like, giving us free drinks. He's like, whatever you want, whatever you want. And what, you, what I started to realize with this, this guy had a deep hunger to be known in an industry that kind, where kindness is just deeply lacking. Now, was he generous just because I was kind? I think so. I don't think it was much more than that. I think it was just like, oh, somebody was not rude to me, and it was a benefit. Now, kindness goes a long way. It breaks down walls, doesn't it? It opens up doors, and at the very least, at the very least it makes your life way more convenient. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It does not get you anywhere to be rude. Now, on the flip side... Think about those people who take matters into their own hands and they throw kindness out the window. Maybe this was some of you this week. Maybe this is a great moment of repentance for you, right? Uh, you, take, you throw kindness out the window. You're like, I'm going to get mine. Like, this is my, I'm looking out for me, number one. You throw kindness out the window and you berate and you tear down others with your words. I mean, at this point, this is actually comical to me to an extent, sad but comical. At this point, there's endless YouTube videos on Karens freaking out on people. 
the name Karen has now been hijacked to mean a very unkind woman who disproportionately overreacts to a simple problem. If you're here and your name is Karen, I am so sorry. <laughs> I don't believe you are a Karen. It's just a type. It's just a type. Are you, is your name actually Karen? Oh, whew. it's like, please don't be in the front row. Please don't be in the front row. <laughs> but isn't that interesting? And what's so funny to me is there's million upon million upon millions of views of these videos of people being like, don't skate on my stuff. You're like, listen, I understand this is like maybe not convenient, but it's not this big, right? Uh, kindness is important. Those types of responses, that fruit in your life, if you're a person who disproportionately overreacts to a simple problem, you are going to be a person who lives a very hard life. Kindness is woven into the fruits of the Spirit because it actually is a blessing to others, but especially you in a deep way. Now, kindness, I would argue, takes humility. Anybody? And I don't want to imply that I'm always kind. I am not. But maybe in your family dynamic or maybe even in your marital relationship, sarcasm and subtle undertones of direct, rude communication is the norm. You're just kind of like, you don't know how to be honest or kind, so you're just kind of cutting all the time and passive aggressive. How do you change that? How do you actually go from being that, having that dynamic to like, hey, I just actually genuinely want to be kind? In my humble opinion, it, it takes humility. It takes you actually saying, I shouldn't talk like that. That's immature. That's not kind, which takes humility. But again, how do we come, become the types of people that are kind? How do we become humble? So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about how do we train to be kind? How do we train to do that? We're going to do that by focusing on uh, this quick spiritual discipline, and that's the spiritual discipline of humility. Kindness flows from humility. Humility simply means to become like Jesus in his willingness to choose the hidden way of love rather than the way of power. We become humble people. We become kind people by submitting to the hidden way of Jesus. But I understand, humility is a really hard sell, isn't it? It's a hard sell, like, hey, be humble. After all, who wants to be at the bottom of the heap? Who loves being last in line? Nobody. Why did they create fast passes at Disneyland? Nobody loves the being last in line. Like, people pay all this extra money to never have to wait in a line. Like, this is the thing. Not just at Disneyland, in life. Like, I want the preferred not line waiting. I would like that, please. Nobody likes to be left out of the loop. How do you like finding out information third hand when you're supposed to know first? How do you do with that, right? I don't do well. We scramble in our life, in our social media feeds, to help other people realize how gifted and qualified and valuable and productive we are. We do a lot of work to make sure that people know. And it's funny because we compete because we don't want to be overlooked or underutilized. It's, it's a very normal human longing to want to be appreciated, right? And valued and recognized. And humility is an important character quality because it goes so against the fabric of our being. But humility, as, as I just want to be clear, does not mean thinking demeaning and low thoughts about yourself. It's not denying the truth of our achievements or thinking less of ourselves. Humility, for you and me, it stems from an honest understanding of who we are. Romans 12 says to think of yourself with sober judgment. What I love about that verse is it says, according to the grace given you, meaning like we need supernatural grace from God to think about ourselves with sober judgment, meaning 
we need God's help to think of ourselves in a humble light. Isn't that interesting? That's the biblical text. Like That's that recognition there. Humility stems for you and I from having someone besides ourselves as the center of our attention. And apprentices to Jesus, those who love Jesus, they're chosen, they're loved, they're appreciated, they're important. And the Holy Spirit inhabits them. They are free to be who they are. But our attention needs to be on others, on Jesus, before it becomes to be on ourselves. You've heard it before that humility is not thinking less of yourselves. We simply think of ourselves less. And that's the point. We simply just stop thinking so much about our desire and our thing. And what happens naturally in that space is we become the types of people that bear lots of fruit, kindness, and other things. And so, uh, how do we train in this this week? I want to give you a few things. I want to give you a, a few questions to ask, ask yourselves, uh, to exercise, and to start opening and training your life for humility that gives way to kindness. Is that okay? First, these are hyper-practical. So if you're a practical person, this is your moment. If you're like, I only love the deep theological stuff, tune out for a couple minutes, take a picture, and figure it out later, okay? First, <laughs> write a resume of your character, not your expertise. Who are you? Like, write a, write a resume. Try this. It's so humbling. Like, I think the whole process is just to show you how, how humbling this process is. What does this reveal about who you're becoming? Are you on a path to humility? Or do you see your path going a different direction? And then simply as you do this, begin to pray for the char character you long to have, right? This is how we train, right? How do we train harder? We, we take intentional steps to become more like Jesus through our actions. Secondly, if you're quick to draw attention to your good works, begin to do some things anonymously. Secretly give somebody money grocery card. Uh, secretly serve somebody. Bless people and don't tell all of social media that you did it. Like, just do stuff. Let the Spirit lead you. What is that like for you? Ask that question. Like, is that really hard for you? Or is it something that you rejoice in doing? Thirdly, what things are sources of pride to you? What things are like, this is my, this is my thing. This is what defines me, right? What about these things makes you proud? How do humility and pride fit together as you think about this stuff? Fourthly, how are you cultivating a gentle and humble heart? Ask yourself that question. What in your life is cultivating that? Someone, uh, Micah asked me that earlier. He's like, Why are you, Brooke, how are you? I think you were trying to be coy. It really did work. Uh, he said, how are you cultivating a gentle and humble heart? And I was like, uh, uh, fasting, prayer walks, and therapy. That's it. That is it for me. The trinity of sanity. Uh, cultivating a gentle and humble heart because those aren't natural, right? That's not natural for me. Fifth, assess your own image management. Spend a week intentionally listening to how you speak about yourself to others. And then just keep track. Here's some ideas. Journal uh, when you spin the truth about yourself so you can be in a better light. Sometimes uh, people say, uh, you know, I never watch TV, but yesterday I saw. Like, why do you have to caveat that you never watch TV and then you tell me you watch something? What's, why is it important to you to be known as someone who doesn't watch TV? When, you introduce, when you're introduced to others, note what comes out of you. Note what you say about yourself. And then ask, what do I, wanna, what do I want to come out when I meet somebody? Journal how you respond to those people.
Ask God to root you in his love and set you free to simply be who you are. My friends, one of the biggest gifts you have to give the world is yourself in a deep way. It's, it's beautiful. And people striving in so many ways miss what God is wanting to do in them. Uh, 13 years ago today, I became a dad for the first time. Happy birthday, Duke. I love you. He's in the back. 13, you made it? <laughs> You're still alive. Your mom and I, success. Um, yeah, 13 years ago today, I became a dad. I have a teenager. I woke up this morning and realized I had a teenager. A lot of worry and concern washed over me. And then I prayed about it and we're okay. But that actually has nothing to do with the teaching. I just remembered that and I saw him. So that was it. I love you, son. Happy birthday. Uh, the next fruit is goodness. Uh, we're going to talk about goodness. Goodness is, uh, definition here, is virtue and holiness in action. It is a result, it results in a life characterized by deeds motivated by righteousness and a desire to be a blessing. It's for you and I to be a blessing and want to be a blessing to people. It's a moral characteristic of a spirit-filled person. Now, the Greek word translated goodness is agathosun, and it's defined as uprightness of heart. Uh, agathosun simply means goodness for the benefit of others, not goodness simply for the sake of being virtuous. The whole point is that you're good, but it's not just because you want to appear good, it's because you want to actually bless other people. Someone with this character quality of Ega the Soon will selflessly excuse me, act on the behalf of other people. Uh, confronting someone about sin is also a different form of goodness. For those people that are like peacemakers, right? There's, there's times and places, and I don't want to like set people free to be like, you know what you should do? Find everybody's sin and tell them about it. No, don't do that. But there's moments in your deepest relationships that keeping quiet is not the loving, kind, godly, good thing to do. It's actually gently and lovingly saying the, the right, hard thing. So one of the qualities of goodness is giving to the poor. It's providing for one's children. It's visiting the sick. It's volunteering to clean up after a storm. It's praying for your enemy. It's all that type of stuff. And expressions of goodness are as varied as the spirit is creative. You can be good and be creative with the spirit and figure out new ways of being good in the world. And, and goodness is not a quality that we can manufacture on our own. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Uh, and this obviously includes goodness, letting the Holy Spirit control us and bear the fruit of goodness in our lives. So here's a practice that we can train in this week. What would help us, what spiritual practice can we train in that would help us grow in this fruit of goodness? And that's the spiritual discipline of service. There's a spiritual discipline of service, and Service is a way of offering our resources, our time, our money, our treasures, influence, and expertise for the care of, and protection and justice of other people. Acts of service give hands to the second greatest commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So when we serve other people, we are going out intentionally sacrificing our time, our energy, our life, our money to bless other people. Uh, John Henry Newman, he, he says this, God has created you and me to do some of his definite service. He has committed some work to me which has, he has not committed to another. I have a part in the great work. I am a link in a chain. 
a bond of connection between persons. He has created me for naught. I shall love as Christ loved, and I shall do his work. One of the things that sticks out to me in that particular quote is that there is work for just you to do. Work that you better be doing. We have gifts to bless others. Question for you, are you stewarding them? You have gifts to make space for, to prioritize, to be a blessing to other people. Now, there's different schools of thought, but some say that when it comes to our rewards in heaven, it's connected not just to having gifts, but the stewardship of our gifts. Are you actually cultivating a life where your gifts can come on display and bless other people? Meaning, being passive about your faith and your gifts does not automatically mean reward. We have to actively step in with Jesus. We've heard that phrase before, without God, he won't, but without us, he can't. Have you heard that before? The idea that we have an active part to play. One more verse on this. Isaiah 58, verse 6. And this is what this is amazing. I love this verse. What I'm interested in seeing you do is this. Sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad. And being available to your own families. This is the idea of what goodness or service looks like. Often we as people want to work ourselves in a place, into a place where we are served rather than to serve, don't we? We feel like success is when others are serving us. And our culture sees the blessed ones as those who get waited on or get served. But in God's kingdom, as we know, it's completely opposite. In Genesis 18, uh, the Lord says to Abraham, you will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. God's trajectory is to bless the earth through his people and to show them exactly what he has in mind. And we do that through service. So how can we practice the spiritual discipline of service this week? How can we train? I'm going to give you five things again. Again, if you're hyper-practical, yes, this is for you. If not, just take a picture for later. First one. This one's a little uncomfortable, but we must do it. Uh, every morning for the next two weeks, you can take a week, try in two weeks though, Ask your spouse, roommate, or colleague, what can I do for you today? And then here's the caveat. Do it. <laughs> Actually do it. What can I do for you today? What a gift. Could you imagine if your roommate came to you and said, hey, ah, I got some extra time. What can I do for you today? You're like, uh, the dishes? <laughs> I don't know. Like, take care of your life so I don't have to. Anything like that would be great. <laughs> pay the rent on time? I don't know. These are just a couple things coming to my mind that are pretty simple. You might have to work through some things before you can get to that. But even your spouse, think about that. Hey, before you leave, hey, what can I do for you today? Is there anything I can do for you today? And mean it. What a gift. Serve. Talk to God about what that's like for you. That's one way we can train. Second, now this is kind of big, but I think this is a, a wonderful goal to aim for. Develop a yearly practice of involving yourself in one intentional service, mission, or relief project. Find something that you can go serve and, some, and a people that you can go serve. We have opportunities in Brazil in October. People are going to be flying out and helping uh, all different things going on uh, in Brazil. Consider what kind of project like speaks to your heart and find that. And if Riverbend doesn't offer it, there's so many other great places that you can serve. Third... 
sign on to set up or take down an event. So if you're like, I love stacking chairs, we have chairs for you to stack after the 11, <laughs> right? We have stuff for you to do. We can help you with this one. This is a real practical one we can help you with, but sign up to take down or an event. What part is like, what part of this is like helping you come alive? And ask yourself questions like, what is it like for you to do a really simple task that doesn't require skill or expertise? Like ask yourself that question. What does this bring out in you when you just serve simply and even with your physical body to help other people? Fourthly, ask those who know you to give you their take on what they believe your spiritual gifts are. This could be a form of, of saying, hey, I'm just learning who, of you learning who you are, how people experience you. Did you know, I didn't know this, but you move through the world in a very particular way and you move through the world in a way that you think is normal. Not everyone else does. I didn't realize this for a very long time that, you know, how people experience you or experience me can be very different than what I think you experience. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get married and you're like, wait, wait, that's not who I am. And you're like, oh my gosh, that is partly who I am right now. That's bad, right? It opens us up. Others help us see who we actually are. They're gifts to us. And fifthly, open your attention to what's going on around you. Ask God, like, in the sphere of your normal, daily, even may I say mundane, boring parts of your life, how can your life bless those in your sphere? How can you just be aware of what's going on right in front of you and serve others? Ask yourself that this week. Now, if you're anything like me, uh, you might ask yourself a question or might be feeling something that I maybe want to just uh, highlight before we close. What if you fail at this all the time? What if you fail at being kind and you fail at being good and you fail at the other fruits, but then when you try to like train, you just fail at that too. And you feel like you're failing and you're feeling like sin is just crowding your mind, crowding your life. All that comes out of you is, is not what you would hope. What if you have addiction that nobody knows about and you're trying to keep under wraps? Or what if you're crippled by anxiety and you use harmful and sinful tools to cope with your reality? Here's the truth, friends. God hates sin and he loves holiness. And when it comes to the sin question or when it comes to sin, we often, or our failures, we often ask the wrong question. We often ask God, what's permitted? How much can I get away with this thing so I can feel good about still serving you? How close can I get to the line without going over it? You know what I'm talking about? But that's the wrong question. The question Jesus leads us to ask is not where is the line, but how holy can I be? How holy can you be? How can you build these things into your life? Not about being a perfectionist that always checks the box, that's always training perfectly, but you're a person that continues to get up. Proverbs says, a righteous man, a righteous woman falls seven times and rises again. That is the idea. Seven is not like only seven. It's an idea that you fall repeatedly, but the most important thing is that you get back up and we need help in our holiness. And Romans chapter five, to close with this verse, verse 20, says this, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Can you just let that sink in for a second? Where your sin is increasing, grace increases all the more. So in this exact passage, Paul speaks of God's grace as superabundant. He says, 
his superabundant grace. That's the Greek translation. But in this particular part where it says grace increased all the more, Paul adds this prefix of hooper in the Greek, which actually means translated hyper, making this word grace in Greek say hooper periseo, which can be translated, listen to this, as super hyperabundant grace. Where your sin abounds, God's hyper, super abundant grace abounds even more. It abounds even more than that. Hyper, super abundant grace. Your sin, my sin, our failures in these areas have a super hyper abundant grace going after it and consuming it. This is the moment when we say amen, right? This is good. There is an endless fountain of super hyper abundant grace that has been opened for us in Jesus. So failure is a part of this game. Training means that you're going to fall at moments. It means that you are going to miss the mark. But Jesus in his goodness saw that when your sin abounded, his hyper, super abundant grace abounded all the more. That's not a permission to continue to live in audacious, in your face sin, but it does give us the permission to say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Help me be a holy person. Help me train. Help me do the things that you want me to do. And if you're here today and you're like struggling with past, present, or even the worry or concern of future sin, may I just remind you that Jesus took care of all that stuff. He loves you so much. He cares for you so deeply. Sin destroys, grace brings life. And we can choose where we put our attention. And so today, may we stop trying. May we start training. May we say, Jesus, help us be the type of people that have the fullness of God in our life and that invite the Spirit to help us, that we would put ourselves under the faucet of His help and His blessing and His goodness, that we might be the types of people that bring the fruit. Can we do that? Let's stand today. We're gonna pray. We're gonna respond. mind for today uh, for this gathering is grace triumphs over judgment. There's a song about that. That grace triumphs over the judgment. But Holy Spirit, we just take a moment to slow our hearts and, and mostly our attention to you. To just respond to whatever it is that your spirit is stirring in us today. Whatever your spirit might be wanting to speak, we just want to be open to that. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come. And for some here today, maybe you're comfortable with the idea of holding out your hands, but I always love the idea of holding out my hands like I get to receive a gift. So if you're, if you're here and you're comfortable, there's zero pressure either way on this. But if you're like, Jesus, I just want to receive your grace. I want to receive more of you. I want to receive just your presence. Uh, even with, I just welcome you and invite you to hold out your hands even as you're receiving a gift. And just to take a minute, and we're just going to pray over you for a moment. God, you know what we need. You know my friends in this room who have their hands out and are saying, I just need you. 
You know the marriages that are hurting. You know the lies that are being told that need to have truth to untangle. You see the deep parts of the pain that is represented in this room. So Holy Spirit, I simply ask with sincerity but authority, I ask for you to give my friends and this family and this church, give us what we need. We need daily bread. There's things that we don't even know that we need. Give us those things. Give us all that we know and all that we don't know. Please, Holy Spirit. And in this moment, as we respond through the Eucharist, through taking the bread and the cup, through entering into this ancient practice of reminding ourselves of the power of the cross, would even that moment, would something divine happen in the heavenlies and in our heart and in our spirits with your spirit? Would you just do beautiful works of healing and transformation? I pray for those who are struggling with anger, God, that you would release and free them and break off the hold of anger. For those who are struggling with addiction, that God, you would please bring back wholeness. For those who are here today struggling with sexual addiction and the idea that I get the visual of a riverbank that's overflowed uh, on each side, God, would you just recede that water back into its appropriate place into the river so that it brings life and not destruction? Would you bring healing? Would you help? These are real things that we're struggling with today. And so we just say, God, please come in, help. You help us in the very practical, real ways, the deep ways and the simple ways. So God, would you be with us? Holy Spirit, we receive these gifts now and we believe that you wanna continue to do these works and help us train. Help us be the types of people that can be more like Jesus today. Bless this time, bless these moments. Would you be honored by them? Amen. Uh, the tables are open. So during this next song, uh, we have the bread and the cup. You can go right back here or right up to the front. Please grab the bread and the cup, and then we'll come back and take that together. And then lastly, really quick, uh, we have people that would love to pray for you. Um, there are a lot of hurts in this room. And the reason I know is because I talk to many of you, and I don't even talk to all of you, and I know they're represented. And one of the biggest things that you can do as a step towards uh kindness is is to be a person of humility that admits you actually might need something it's hard for us to do that but there's godly men and women that would love to pray with you so the prayer walls open and they're there not to judge not to confuse simply to carry the burden with you and to just pray with you and say hey wow i i have a lot of hard stuff too can i pray for you we're called to bear one another's burdens and that's just a practical way that we do that here at riverman so the tables are open the prayer walls open let's sing